Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Do you think being expelled from school twice would lead to a path of success? Well, in my next episode of Celeb Savant, I'll be speaking to Tom Rylance, who was expelled twice from school, and he is the lead singer of the band The Lottery Winners. The Lottery Winners are an indie pop band from Lee, Greater Manchester, England. The band was put together for record label Modern Sky in 2008 by Tom Rylance, vocals guitar, Robert Lally, guitar vocals, Katie Lloyd, bass vocals, and Joe Singleton, drums. Their Lottery Winners' fifth studio album, Anxiety Replacement Therapy, was released in 2023 and it became their first UK number one album. Up next on Celebs Vant, we've got Tom Rylance from The Lottery Winners. Where do we find you in the world? What's happening in your life and how are you doing? Well, I'm in Lee, which is my hometown where I'm from. I'm, it's kind of the end of a monster tour. We did 39 shows in 38 days. Oh, wow. And I've had two days of just lying in bed in my knickers. <laughs> and now I'm talking to you. Yeah, just off the back of a number one album as well, which I've mentioned very early there, haven't I? So we had to drop that mic straight away. I was very excited <laughs> when I saw that. So first of all, why the name Lottery Winners? Where does that name come from? You know what? It, it, we, we picked it so long ago that I just really regret it now. I think it's a terrible name. <laughs> it was because we, we had no money. And I thought it was like ironic. And we were like having to borrow instruments from our friends. Yes. And I thought, oh, lottery winners, that's funny. And also there's a song by a band called The Crimea um, yes. that I was listening to a lot at the time called Lottery Winners on Acid. And I thought Lottery Winners on Acid would be a good band name. But then it just kind of got shortened to Lottery Winners. Okay. Let's rewind all the way back. You mentioned uh, that you regret the name now, but let's go back to the beginning of the band, the hybrid or the long version of the Lottery Winners story. Tell us from the beginning to the current number one album. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's 15 years worth of anecdotes <laughs> and stories, but I'll give you the short form. Yes. It, we, we started off just playing in pubs and open mic nights around our local area. And for some reason, our local area, I think it's perhaps because the school's aren't great there's just this really high concentration of really creative people okay. and really great musicians and I think because people didn't pursue academic uh, exploits with their lives and they poured themselves into guitars and bass and drums or painting or photography or videography or whatever I've got a lot of really talented friends so there was just kind of a bit of a scene between me and all my like kind of teenage friends and we all just used to play with each other in pubs and there was open mic nights and jam nights and everyone used to just get up and play. But I was never really into playing other people's songs. So I wanted to write them. So I found I found some other people that were interested in that as well. And we started the band and we, we just kind of turned up to the open mic nights and played our own songs, which nobody wanted. <laughs> and then, you know, and just and kept going. And built it over years and years. And I, I think like a, an important moment, we started the band in 2008, but the first time we did a real tour was 2016. 
Okay. And that's when um, Miles Hunt from the Wonder Stuff had seen us at a rubbish festival on like the back of a lorry in a pub beer garden and was like, I like you guys. Do you want to come on and do the tour and support us? And that was the first time we'd ever done that. And that was like a turning point because then we started to build like a bit of a fan base that was more than just the people of Lee. Yeah. And, you know, at different parts of the country and we were playing to full rooms and then we put our own little tour on and some people came. And that was kind of like a, a cycle that, um, that happened over and over again with various bands like Sleeper, Shed 7, Frank Turner more recently, and our friends the Ratons. And it got us to the point where when we did our own shows, they were full and everybody bought our album because yes. they liked us. And yes. then we got a number one album. The difference between being an opening act for an artist and headlining your own show what is that difference for you? You obviously put the same energy into it because it's your show. But how does it feel being the opening act compared to your being in the headliner? It's different in many ways. I think it's a completely different approach as, as a support band because you know that the people there don't know you. Yes. And you've got to kind of win them over. So for me, I always want to try and win people over in the first 10 seconds. Okay. And I think if you can do that by making them laugh or breaking the ice then then you're on to a winner from there. So that's that like my personal challenge as a frontman is to try and break the ice and make people laugh within the first kind of ten seconds and then you you're all good from there. But I think it's it's kind of strange now because um at the headline gigs everybody knows like every word of every song and that is just it's overwhelming sometimes like it, yeah. it makes me feel famous you know it makes me yeah. feel like a, a proper band it's a bit more of a challenge maybe when you're on the support shows but I like that I've, I've, I've never shied away from it I know some bands that absolutely hate the support acts yeah uh, position because they feel that oh we just get ignored and people talk over us and blah. but I've never experienced that I think I'm always just going to demand attention yeah. because I'm such a show off. Well, I mean, if you go in with that energy, oh, no, I hate it, everyone's going to talk over me, compared to I'm here, 10 seconds, haha, make them laugh, impact, let's go. That's that's what will happen. So you're creating the vibe, you're creating the energy from your perception and behavior towards it i believe and you have the correct perception and behavior so that's fantastic but now you mentioned that from 2008 through to 2016 2016 is when you did that first support act so for those eight years what kept you guys going and like was it the passion were the days that you were down and you're like oh i can't do this anymore what were those eight years like well i think i'm really lucky because the people in in the band are actually my best friends in the world okay. especially with the amount of time we spend together you know it, it would have to it wouldn't work otherwise yeah so like we're in confined spaces all the time and you have to really know someone because there's no time to not be who you authentically are in those situations like you can't sometimes you, you sometimes people naturally you'll put like a bit of a front on you'll you'll pretend to be nicer than you are or whatever like you know, but like in that environment, we all know each other 100%. And if I didn't have those people around me, I think we would have we would have all stopped a long time ago. But it, it, we just have so much fun, you know, like genuinely have a laugh. And and it, it was for a long time just more of a, a passion than a career. And then all of a sudden it, 
it kind of got more serious and we all just were like, right, well, we obviously have to quit our jobs and put everything into this now because this is what we want to do with our lives. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's been many times, there's been a lot of times, even more recently than 2016, where we thought oh, we can't do this anymore and it's mm-hmm. been tough on the mental health and everything, but that we've always pulled through. I think it's like a unique bond that I have with the three of those mm. and Tristan, our manager, because the whole roller coaster we've been on together, the whole ride. So all the highs we get to experience together and all the amazing moments, but then all the, the hard times and the lows we all go through together as well. So we've got this like unique bond that I don't think you could find anywhere else. What job were you doing? I have done a lot of really weird, really bad jobs. Like I, I've worked on building sites and then completely opposite to that, I worked in Claire's accessories. Like piercing yeah. ears and selling earrings. I used to write CVs for the job centre and, and like help oh, okay. people get jobs. I've worked with kids like myself that had been kicked out of school, you know, that, that didn't really fit into the mainstream mm. educational system. I put on creative classes and taught them how to rap and like record rap music yeah. or make a video or do stop motion animation. And um, that's something I'm passionate about. Like, I think that just because somebody it doesn't fit into the mainstream educational system, it doesn't mean that they're a write-off. There's just other ways that people can learn and express themselves. Exactly. So that that brings me, I don't know if you've heard of, it's very interesting. You're going there, so I'm going there. So for the listening audience, something for you to Google, something to educate yourself on. I don't know if you are aware of the term indigo children and crystal children. So indigo children, and I can feel you and I'm an indigo, you're an indigo. So indigo children uh, started being born from 1975 onwards, crystal children more recently. So these children are very unique, very different, and they don't fit in. And they're always asking why, and they're always questioning and why this and why that. And the schooling systems is still on the old systems of if you don't sit still and look at me means that you're not listening and you need to be stuffed onto Ritalin or you've got ADHD. And indigo children and crystal children are able to draw and move and puzzle and still absorb the information that's being sent to them. There needs to be a transition because more and more of the people out there are indigos and crystal children and they need to understand that so that they're not, oh, because they're not sitting still means that they're not relevant, you know, that means they need to be kicked out. So it's it's very interesting conversation to have around is the schooling system these days for everyone? And it's not because a lot of people struggle with it. Absolutely. And I was one of those and I was expelled from like two schools and that, that you know, it left me fe- and that's something you take into adulthood because yes. it left me feeling like a broken person or a bad person yes. um, because I didn't fit into those kind of situations. So, yeah, I think that I mean, I'm hoping it's better now. I don't know. I've not I've not been to school for a while, but I'm <laughs> hoping it's better. I'm hoping it's better now. So when we finish this interview, Google Indigo Children, you'll have a lot of aha moments and a lot okay. of things, a lot of things will make sense for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to do that. Yeah. Thank you. When I, when I, when I read it, I was like, Oh, okay. Now, anyway, so let's move back onto the, the music. So from zero to a three to four minute song, what is the creative process? Do you all write together? Who does the main writing? Is it easy all the time? Do you guys bicker? What is the lottery winner's creative journey in creating a song? Um, I'm the songwriter. 
So okay. I've written like all, all of the songs. And for me, it, it just it can happen at any moment. Like a full song will just hit me. It sounds like pretentious, but it, I feel like the songs are just all there floating around and you've got to like just be open to receive them. And sometimes you'll just pick up one and you receive it and then it comes through you and and it and you know it's like I'll express how I've been feeling yeah. and sometimes I'll read it back later later and I'll just be like oh oh that makes sense you yeah. know <laughs> and it's like uh, but yeah so I'll I'll write a song usually in kind of a rough form and then I'll bring it to the to the band yeah. um, we used to write a lot more in a rehearsal room with instruments but then when lockdown all mm-hmm. that stuff, that stinky stuff, which I hate talking about, but yes. it did change the writing process. Yes. Now I, I um, kind of write a lot more. I write, I like sketch an idea, and then when it comes to actually painting it, I'll get on the computer and I'll like, uh, okay. I'll record it all and mm. produce it, it. If you, I've interviewed now over a hundred artists for the podcast, and you mentioned about all the songs there and just being open and putting it down. The amount of artists, that's why I was smiling and giggling when you said that, because so many of the artists have said the same thing. It's just like being open, being present, being a vessel and allowing it to come through you and then it will happen. Yeah, it, I think it really, it really is. And that's interesting that other people see it that way. And, yeah. and I think maybe some people are just more susceptible to getting those kind of waves or whatever it yeah. is. But I'm, just, I'm so grateful that I can do that. <laughs> Back in the day, way, way, we had vinyl, we had cassettes, we had CDs. Those are all making a comeback. I'm not sure if you're aware, a couple of years ago, first time in 21 years, CDs had an increase in sales. Last year, vinyl, uh, 5.5 million sales in the UK alone, the most since 1990. I love me a CD. I love the holding of the something, the journey of getting it, the journey of listening to the whole story of the album. It's a thank you to the artists for putting all the hard work into what you guys do. But then we have these digital platforms. What is your perception of the way people consume music these days in the physical world compared to the digital world? Well, I think that music's kind of become disposable because of the way that it is. And like, it's a lot of passive listening, isn't it? With like playlists and things like that. And people aren't, I think generally speaking, people don't appreciate the music as an art form as much as as in the past when you would use, you you go to a record shop when an album came out and you queue up and you buy it. And But the way we got our number one is purely through physical sales. You know, we couldn't compete with the big artists on streaming, but we outsold them on physical sales. Oh, and wow. I, th- I think that's because we care. We cared about the album as yes. as a piece of art, and we cared about the formats that we were selling. And because just for some reason, our, our fans seem to be like-minded people like us, and I collect records, and I'm a music fan. You know, I want to hold an album in my hand. And in my heart, you know what I mean? Yes. I want to I wanna take that with me. And I've got like a thing about the music industry, like I think it's always had to adapt um, throughout the different stages of it. So mm. even when music was originally recorded, whenever that was, you know, back in the 30s, people said that that would be the death of the music industry because yeah. nobody would go and see the performers anymore. They'd just listen to it at home on the phonographs. Yes. But obviously that was the birth of the record industry. 
And, um, you know, later down the line when cassettes came, people said, well, no one will buy records anymore because they'll just record it off the radio. But, of course, that didn't happen. And, and then CDs came and, uh, and then Napster came and LimeWire and, and pirating. And, you know, everyone said that would be the death of the music industry mm. because now why would anyone buy it? They'll just download it on the computers. But then Daniel Epp came along, made Spotify, gave, put, made it convenient. It was like convenient pirating, wasn't it? It was like you can you have access to everything, yeah. but you've got to pay ten, £10 a month. Mm. Uh, and, and so I think like we're just – the music industry is still on a transitionary period of trying to find out where the artists fit in to this whole streaming world because at the moment it financially isn't great for yeah. for musicians and but it's just something else that we need to adapt to as much as as much as i'm saying it makes music disposable and uh, and disagreeing with it like i'm a spotify user and i i think it's incredible i think it's amazing for discoveries for yes. discovering new bands and you know you can you imagine telling someone from the 1950s that you could have a device in your hand that would just <laughs> give you access to all of the music yeah just all of the music ever and that's and that's what it is and it's a beautiful thing i somehow disagree with you with all because i buy my cds but i've also got my spotify account because i teach spinning classes and i create playlists for those and i created yeah. the playlist but say four years ago during the the time we don't want to talk about lockdown because there was much, not much else to do. And I've gone back into, and I'm not talking about one or two songs. I'm talking about over 50, 200 songs that I've gone back into playlists and now they're off the platform. They're like being removed. It was definitely there when I created the playlist. Now it's gone. Whereas if I've got the CD, I'll always have it and no one can take yeah. that away from me. I think that if it's, if it's a record that I really love, or if I discover something new, then I will definitely go out and buy it because uh, I want to support artists. And also for me as a music fan, I want to I want to have that record yeah. in my life. I, music's really important to me. It's like it soundtracks my life and my emotions. So I hold a lot of nostalgia and meaning to exactly. different records throughout yeah. my life. Um, exactly. So I want to I have them. Um, I read another article that HMV, they had that flagship in Oxford Street that didn't close down but moved. But now they've, because of the resurgence of vinyl and cassettes and everything, they've reopened now in Oxford Street again in London, the main, main store, and it's buzzing. So for us, go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, that's one of my my favorite things to do. Like, if I'm in a city, I'll go into the HMV and I'll find my own record. Yes. And I always have this, like, moment of, like, I'm in HMV. Because that was the dream. You know, I used to yes. go to HMV with my with my paper round money and yes. and buy a CD for the week and yes. then listen to it. You know, That's part and, of the journey. Stuff. That's part of the experience. Exactly. That leads me to my next question. Now, my recipients don't always like this question or this game, so to speak. I know if I had to ask you this question in two days, two hours, two weeks, I know your answer will be different every time. And I recognize it's not necessarily favorite, but if you had to put on five songs by other artists once we finished this interview, what did those five songs be and by whom? Wow. Okay. Um, well, I mean, like you said, it completely depends yeah. on how I feel. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about the five songs that influenced me as a songwriter, probably. Okay. okay. Baz Luhrmann's Always Wear Sunscreen. Yeah. Um, or Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. Okay. That had such an emotional impact on me when I heard that. 
when I was younger. Uh, it's just a list of advice and it's something that I've kind of taken the format and, and had to play with myself. I think that is just an incredible piece of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one. I Know It's Over by The Smiths, I think is the saddest song ever written. Um, and I think there's a lot of power in, in the way that, like that song makes me cry. And if you can make me cry in a song that, yeah. you know, that's so authentic and so real, yeah. that um, that would definitely be one. Dan by Eminem, because I think that that was just like, when I first heard that song, I was like, this song is like a film. Like, how is this song like a film? And I yeah, okay. thought it was so interesting that yes. as a songwriter, Eminem could paint out this whole story. And um, I just thought it was an, an incredible piece of art, that yeah. song. Um, where am I up to? I'm up to three. The Boy in the Bubble of Graceland, Paul Simon. I think that is just an incredible song, an incredible album. And um, more production-wise and sonically, I think that is just an outstanding piece and then one more where am I going with it because there's a lot my final one oh it's hard it is <laughs> I think I'm gonna pick tunnels off RK5's funeral album okay because when that album came out that was one of the albums that really changed my life I was just like wow this is astonishing just the pure sonic and everybody on stage and it felt like everybody in the room recording it and I thought that the lyrics were great and and the, it was sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before and it really inspired me a lot to want to make music. Tell me, what do you enjoy about performing live? Everything. I think that because I um, because I had such a difficult time at school and I, and I carried that through with me, I think I need a lot of affirmation. So like to be to be stood on the stage and being clapped at is you know is literally affirmation i mean i just love it i feel like an alien all the time in my life <laughs> except when i'm on stage you know and some people say to me like oh but how do you not get nervous like what how how would you how do you feel comfortable just going standing in front of thousands of people and, and talking and singing but that is literally where i feel most comfortable it's re- it's really strange you mentioned the alien so you know i'm also an indigo i've say almost daily i feel like i'm from another planet and and it is like I, i'm here for an experiment on this planet to go back to my planet and tell them what not to do <laughs> <laughs> tom the podcast is listened to throughout the world as a final message to the listening audience what would you like to say love yourself no matter what always love yourself you know you're the only person that will ever be you so embrace it and go for it and do everything that you want. And it's possible as well. Even if you were just some ugly kid who got kicked out of school and didn't think you'd ever be anyone, here I am sat with a number one album. And that's all because I believed in it. So as Tom says, believe in yourself, love yourself, go for it and get to number one. This is Celeb Savant signing out.